listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast produced by students and staff at the University of Southern California's Christian Challenge Student Ministry. We seek to connect and equip students to know Jesus, live lives honoring to Him, and make Him known to their community. Learn more about us at uscchristianchallenge.com and connect with us on social media at USC Challenge. Welcome to Challenge. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about glorifying God. And many of us who have kind of grown up in Christian circles have heard that term before. If you're anything like me, there are some things that are said repeatedly that I still don't quite understand what they mean. So tonight, we're going to take a deeper look at what it means to glorify God with our lives. Prayerfully clearing up some misconceptions and by God's grace, leaving here tonight with greater clarity to live for the glory of God. So some of you who know me know that I did not grow up in California. I grew up in rural Oklahoma. And while my brother was working on a PhD in New Mexico, he would fly out and visit me on Thanksgiving breaks and things like that. But one time when I was taking him back to LAX on the drive there, he said to me, Sepulveda, I've read about this street in a book I checked out from the library. And I was like, it's not Sepulveda, it's Sepulveda. And we had this like great laugh about how like when we sound things out on our own or try to like figure things out on our own, we can often be wrong, right? But he was close enough that someone could have figured out what he meant, but he was still wrong. And the same is true for biblical truth. If we pretend to know something or more about something or think we've figured it out without looking at God's word or asking a more mature believer, we can be misinterpreting important truths, far more important than the name of a street. You know, mispronouncing a street doesn't impact your day-to-day life, but misinterpreting what it means to glorify God with our lives not only impacts our own lives, but the lives of those we encounter, that it matters. So just a quick review for some of you, this may be your first time tonight, and some of you may have been here for this whole series. A few weeks ago, Neil was sharing with us about what it means to be all in and following Jesus. And he explained that it looks like two things. It looks like living our lives to glorify God And it looks like living our lives so that others may live. So how do we glorify God? You know, towards the end of Jesus' life, he prays this prayer to God found in John 17, verse 1. It says this, after this, or after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So essentially what he's saying is, God, reveal to them who I am so I can reveal what you are like to them. So God, if you will show them that I am your son, they'll have a clear picture of what you're like. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we see this beautiful picture of how God loves and how God serves and how God meets needs and how God is at work in the lives of people that we know and love. So the way that we glorify God is we reveal him. The way that we glorify God is that we reveal him. The main verse we're going to look at tonight is found in 1 Corinthians 10 31. So it says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So the idea is to think through your day, your activities, your jobs, the roles you have, 
what could each of us do in each of those areas that would reveal, that would glorify God? How would Jesus do it if he were in my place today? So living out this truth, though, requires a change in our thinking. So thinking through this, is it a sin to disobey this biblical commandment? We would say, yes, it is a sin to disobey. So we can draw this conclusion. It is sin to eat or drink or do anything not for the glory of God. So in other words, sin is not just a list of harmful things like killing and stealing and cheating and lying. No, no sin is leaving God out of account in the ordinary affairs of your life. So let me say that again. Sin is leaving God out of the ordinary affairs of your life. So thinking of it like the reality is sin is anything you do that you don't do for the glory of God. So sin is anything you do that you don't do for the glory of God. Thinking like that kind of changes the way we view this. So as you, those of you who know me know that I love research and I have a really a good time when Neil asks me to speak and I find all this fun information, then he has to help me boil it down because it's just way too much. You guys don't have time for all the fun things that I find. But one article I found that was just too good not to pass on to you guys was a really well-known Christian pastor wrote an article called How to Drink Orange Juice to the Glory of God. And so I actually juiced this orange juice, fresh orange juice this morning in my juicer that I got for Christmas. So I just want to run through a few points because it was quite extensive and you don't have time for that. So some of his suggestions were, you know, it's, this verse talks about how whether we eat or we drink, whatever we do, these ordinary mundane tasks, juicing orange juice, drinking orange juice, all this should be done in a way that reveals God, that glorifies God. So some of his suggestions were, you know, offering thanks. Thanking God is one way we drink orange juice, the glory of God. So we can offer prayer and thanks. Thanks God for this delicious orange juice. Another way is to drink it lovingly. Like, I don't think, I'm not saying like lovingly love the orange juice. What I'm saying is like, don't go after the biggest helping. You know, I know some of you have siblings and that's a tendency maybe to want all of the orange juice or drink all that is left, or maybe just leave the tiny littlest bit left for your younger brother. That's, that's not how we drink orange juice to the glory of God. We see this in, if you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33 says this again. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that many may be saved. So everything we do, even drinking orange juice, can be done with this intention and hope that it will be to the advantage of other people, that people would be saved. Another thing, drinking orange juice to the glory of God, means that acknowledging that this delicious, sweet fruit cocktail of orange juice, um, and I think for those of you who've had COVID and you lost your sense of taste, I think this may be more meaningful to you. I have not had COVID, so I cannot relate to this, but if you haven't been able to taste for a while, then when you taste orange juice, you're going to have a whole new appreciation for the sweetness of orange juice. But even for those of us who haven't lost our taste, to acknowledge our taste buds are really a gift from God. This enjoyment is from God. The nourishment it gets 
guys, if you drink this, you will not get scurvy. And none of us want scurvy. I don't really know. I think it's really bad. I think it affects your gums. I'm not quite positive, but there's nourishment from this that we need in order to be healthy, right? The sun, the rain, all of these elements that are necessary for growing delicious oranges are gifts from God. This is no small thing. So remember, in your morning, I don't even ever drink orange juice, guys, but I hopefully from now on, whenever you drink orange juice, you will remember this and think, wow, there's much to thank God for, regardless of whether it's orange juice or apple juice or whatever you eat or drink, right? That's the whole point of this. So we're going to look a little bit deeper into how our thoughts and our actions can glorify God, can reveal more of him by first looking at what it's not. What does it not mean to glorify God? And what does it mean? to live our lives to the glory of God. So first, what it is not. So it is not looking for ways just to like drop God into the conversation or weave his name into the words we speak. You know, it's like we can say, well, I, I glorified God today. I was at Starbucks with my friend for three hours. And I think I said his name once, like in some way, or maybe for instance, you've like just had this verbal vomit and like been railing and complaining to your friend. And then before you're, you leave, you're like, I know God's got this. And then you think, well, I glorified God. I mentioned his name when I was talking to my friend. It's not that at all. Nor is it pretending everything is great when it's not. It's not lying. Like It's not a fake it till you make it kind of thing. It, it doesn't glorify God when we're not open and honest. And it, it's not an event. It's not like going to church or going to challenge or going to life group. Um, I glorify God. I went to challenge tonight. So I think I'll plan. If I have time next week, I'll glorify God again on Thursday night. Or if I go to freshman connection on Wednesday night, that's not it either. It's not an event that you attend that you kind of check the box. So if that's what it's not, then what is it? I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at. So really essentially living our lives to glorify God means living our lives in such a way as to reveal more of who God is and what he's like. We want our lives to reveal him day in and out, day out, every single day. But if we want to glorify God, then we need to know him, right? It's hard to glorify what you don't know. And we get to know him by spending time in his word, like what Jeremy talked about a couple weeks ago at Challenge. If you missed that week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to his and then Eric's last week too. I'll give you a more holistic picture of this. But if you kind of imagine, I don't know, some of you did community theater, some of you didn't. I did community theater. I think theater is fascinating. But if you kind of envision your life as this play, these acts that are unfolding, you know, making a conscious choice in our actions and in our words and in our interactions with people to take myself off of center stage and to allow him to be the center stage. So what my life is truly a spotlight on him that reveals him and the spotlight is not shining back on me. Because if you think about it, it's really hard to reveal two things at the same time. Like if I'm revealing myself, most likely I am not revealing God. So we recognize that, that living our lives to glorify God is a life. It's not an activity. So we look for ways to weave his character into our lives and conversations. We want to look for ways to weave his character into our lives and conversations. So one way to think about doing this is, is maybe asking yourself some questions, some questions like, Am I trying to honor God or am I trying to look good to my friends? 
Is it image management or I really want a heart that is transformed, that is revealing God? There's this beautiful verse in Psalm 1914. It's this beautiful prayer that says, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we see that, I think, you know, Jesus is our example. He is our role model. Jesus always glorified God, his father, in everything. There was never a moment of his life that he did not glorify God. His every thought, word, action was totally devoted to the glory of God. And you think, well, how, how did he glorify God? Well, one of the ways that he glorified God was that he valued people. He put people over things so that we would live our lives in such a way that we would put the needs of other people above my own. And it's so interesting when you look at this context of this first Corinthians passage that we're looking at tonight, um, Paul was addressing, you know, this discussion of the, the freedom that believers have in Christ, that we are free to make personal choices, but we are not to do anything that causes another person to stumble or to sin in their own walk with God. That really our role as followers of Christ is to seek the good of other people. That's what Jesus modeled for us, right? And so we see in those other verses that we kind of looked at earlier, but we're going to look at a little bit more tonight. First Corinthians 10, 32 and 33, it says, you know, don't cause anybody to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. You know, we see if, that's kind of fast forwarding a bit, but if you rewind a bit to first Corinthians 10, 23, believers have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, it says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So when Paul was talking about this, the illustration that he used was this idea of eating meat that has been dedicated to idols. That's not really something we talk about or deal with in our day-to-day -day life. But to him, such dedication of eating this meat really meant nothing because he knew these idols were false man-made gods. They had no power. However, for the sake of these people who are struggling with that, he would abstain from ever eating meat again for the good of others who might sin by following his example. Wow, that for me would be really hard. But believers, as followers of Christ, one of the ways that we glorify God is through our lives and through our actions towards other people, that we would consider how our actions impact other people and live in such a way that others may live, right? That we would reveal who God is to other people. So how we think, talk, treat people, all of these things combined reveal the heart of God. And like we looked at before, people are what's on God's heart and we reveal his heart to other people. So going back to what we were talking about earlier about just in using our conversations, like when you exemplify Jesus, you don't have to weave God into the conversation. There's something so distinct about who you are and how you live your life as a follower of Jesus that they see, wow, 
when we got that assignment, she didn't react like I thought she would react. Or when the professor, you know, shamed her in front of the whole class, he didn't respond like I would have responded. Or people kind of see how you react and respond and what your response is and how that is different because of how you follow Jesus. And so this idea of of glorifying God is not this ethereal pie in the sky. It's actually like boots to the ground, living it out day in and day out, the reality of who God is revealing him. So to reveal him means that we're going to say no to some things and we're going to say yes to God again and again and again. And just, if you'll just use your imaginations, indulge me for just a moment. Think of the implications of this. Imagine a group of Christians, a group of people who decided I'm all in, I'm 100% sold out to Jesus, who wake up in the morning, decide I want to bring glory to God in my everyday life. I want to reveal him to those I'm going to encounter throughout my day. I don't even know who those people are going to be through my actions, through my interactions, through my thoughts, through my words. Think of the impact on the world around us. If just we as Christian Challenge decided to do that. You know, last fall, for some of you around, I spoke on hope and we looked at first Peter and first Peter was written to believers experiencing extreme persecution. You know, think about the time of Nero where he would light Christians on fire to illuminate his gardens at night. That was the reality that these believers lived in day in and day out. And to those people, people who are facing death because of their loyalty to Jesus, this is what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 11 through 12. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter refers to them as foreigners, as exiles. This language that he uses saying, you have been handpicked. You have been placed by God, scattered, scattered throughout Los Angeles, throughout California, throughout America. Some of you are even international throughout different parts of the world, living next to people who don't know who Jesus is. And in Acts, we see this beautiful picture of how, how God has foreordained where we're going to live. He knew he chose that we would be alive during a global pandemic. That was, this is no accident. You read that in Acts 17, 26. He says, and he, God made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. It is no accident. The people who are in your life right now, the families that you're in, putting you in majors, in neighborhoods, in families, in circumstances where you are right next to people who are lost and without hope, without Jesus. And you are on display for the world to see. You are living amongst people with no hope and people are watching. Is the hope you have real? Is it worth the sacrifices you're making, the way you're living your life? They want to know. Thinking about like, you may be the only church service that a lot of people see, the only scripture that a lot of people read, the only sermon that a lot of people were here. You get to be that. What a privilege to be foreigners and exiles in this world, a world of, of hopelessness and darkness right now. 
And as a staff and as a leadership team, you know, we pray often for people to see Jesus in us and to come to know Jesus. But it's good for, for all of us to stop and to consider, you know, will my family, my friends, will their eyes be open to Jesus because of how I live my life? Or are they going to think, I don't want any part of that? You know, are my choices causing me to live such a distinct and different life, a life that reveals the character and the heart of God? Because know this, whether we like it or not, others are watching our lives and they're wondering and they're questioning, are they drawn to the gospel because of how we're living the gospel out before them? In a, a world that is so full of fear, may we be people who say, perfect love casts out fear. I have so much hope. Jesus is returning. This world is not my home. We have what they are longing for. So I want to transition a little bit to a man who lived this out in such a cool way that it was just too good for me not to share with you guys. And I kind of took a straw poll of some freshman connection leaders and they had never heard of this man. And I just feel like I have to rectify that tonight because you guys are, are living without the knowledge of this man. And you have to know tonight. I was telling Neil, I was like, Neil, can you believe they've never heard of this man? Have any of you guys ever heard of Eric Little? Okay, Neil has. I can't see all of you on my screen. Neil has. So anyway, guys, you really probably know about him. There was an Oscar award winning movie made about his life. And it's one of the most famous movie scores of all time. Jack Black actually hums it in the movie The Holiday. So if you've seen The Holiday, you've heard this, uh, the score to this movie. It won uh, the Oscar for the best picture, but it was 1982, long before you were born. But anyway, about Eric Little. You have to know this man. I hope this inspires you to look him up further. But he was a 20th century world-class athlete, and he did not compromise his principles. He was born in China. His parents were Scottish, and they were missionaries in China. At the age of six, he and his brother Rob were sent to London to a missionary boarding school. And it was there that his school quickly realized that Eric Little had some athletic talent that would need to be developed. And it was, thankfully, he became a runner at the University of Edinburgh. And in 1923, he set the British record in the 100 meter run, making it a 9.7 seconds, which is pretty remarkable if you ask me. So the following year were the Olympics in Paris and he was scheduled to run this race. And it just looked like, you know, he was the favorite going into the Olympics, but he found out that this race was going to be run on a Sunday and it was against his personal convictions to run on Sunday, but that was the Lord's day. And he honored God by that. So he declined to run in the hundred meter race. And instead he ran the 400 meter race, which for those of you who are runners know, that is just a totally different race. For those of you who are not runners, just know it's a totally different race, a different strategy. It's apples and oranges, guys. So on the morning of the Olympic 400 meter final, he was handed a piece of paper by his masseur and it read, in the old book, it says, he that honors me, I will honor, wishing you the best of success always. And Eric Little was a man who knew God and loved his word and recognized that verse from 1 Samuel. And he just felt in that moment that there was someone other than his coach who believed in him and believed in the stance that he had taken. I mean, the world was riveted by this man. 
So I'm going to tell you the end of the story, but you still need to watch the movie because it's excellent. So he broke the Olympic and set the world record that day for the 400 meter race, a race he should not have won, a race very different than the race he had trained to win. And he became this national hero. And his Olympic story is told along that with his teammate, Harold Abrams, who is Jewish. And it's immortalized in this Oscar award-winning film, Chariots of Fire. Um, but the rest of the story is that Eric Little, he decided to go back to China. And he died as a missionary there in a Japanese internment camp just months before the Americans came to rescue them. And he says this amazing line that I'm going to, we're going to watch a one minute clip from this movie. And you've got to pay attention because this Scottish accent is so thick. So do not talk, pay attention. There's no subtitles, but we're going to watch this clip. Jack's going to um, post it and then finish up with Eric Little and some next steps. I was excited. I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh, so Please. I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Jenny. Jenny. I don't know if you guys could hear that, but he says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. He's talking about God, that when he runs, when he does what God created his body to do, he feels the pleasure of God on his life. And he says, you know, to win is to honor God. I think sometimes we think that to glorify God, we will lead boring, mundane lives where we're just miserable. And that's not at all what God has intended when he instructs us to live for his glory. Some of you have the ability to write well, some to articulate ideas, some to dance, some to research, some to design. You guys are probably the most gifted students on the planet. I don't know I'm biased, but I think it's true. So think about this. How will you, like Eric Little, like Jesus, choose to reveal God to the world around you in your gifts, in your interpersonal interactions and in your conversations and how you contribute to a group project and even how you sip some orange juice. Yeah, we can glorify God and become the best baristas, the researchers, lawyers that we can be. We glorify him in our waiting, in our wondering, in our honesty, in taking the trash out and cleaning up after our roommates. When we say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me each and every day in the mundane and the messy and in those everything is on the line kind of moments that we just look like in, in Eric Little's life, we get a choice. Will the spotlight of my words and my actions highlight my life or will I use my life to reveal the one who alone is worthy of that light? Because like Eric Little 
he alone is worthy. And when Eric chose to make that decision of making that stand of what he would not do, wow, so many eyes were upon him, but he had a chance to either shine the spotlight on him. And he said, no, no, no on Jesus. And he revealed the heart of God to the world that was watching. So some next steps that I would love for you to consider tonight is this. The first thing, there's two C's. First is to consider when you're faced with, you know, eating breakfast, taking the trash out, all these tasks of life, all these responsibilities in life, just stop for a minute and think, how would Jesus respond? How would Jesus handle this? Consider, consider what Jesus would do. How can you reveal God's heart in this situation, this conversation, this reaction? And, and this really does require us to slow down, to think about Jesus, to consider him and his example. Like Jesus wasn't stoic. You know, he wept, he laughed, he experienced conflict. There are people who did not like him. Look at the life of Jesus. And the second thing is, is to choose. So consider and then choose. Choose to do what glorifies God and reveals him again and again and again and again. This isn't a one-time decision, but for the rest of your life, may each of us consider and choose how to glorify God with our lives. And so as I like to do, and because leaders are readers, and I think it's very important for you guys to know about some key people in the faith, also because I was talking to some of the freshman connection leaders today, it reminds me and it helps me get past myself to see how God has used other people and the choices that people have made that have ripple effects in their world and in generations to come. So if you're, I'm going to put my email address right here in the chat. If you got a book last time and you did not read the book, you are ineligible. You're disqualified, like Eric Little would say, um, from getting this book. But if you are local, this is like one of my, oh, let me do this. This is like one of my favorite books. I love Eric Metaxas. He's an amazing writer. Um, but this one just is a chapter on Eric Little. So if you're local and you win the contest, if you email me and you promise to read it, you have to promise to read it like pinky swear promise. I will give this to you. Um, if you're far away, I'm going to send you a copy of Eric Little's biography because it's so good. And if you don't win, you should read it anyway. And all of you should watch Chariots of Fire. It's a little slow. Think 1982, but it's such a powerful story. It's a movie that would never be made today. Just think about a man who stood for such convictions and such what is right would never be made in 2021. So I hope you read it and I hope you're encouraged. Let me pray for you and then we will welcome up this amazing worship team. Father, thank you. Thank you that you invite us into a story so much bigger than we could ever write ourselves. And thank you for the men and the women who have gone before us, who have modeled for us so well how to live for your glory and your fame and your renown. And may that be the deepest desire of our heart, that our lives would cast the spotlight on you, King Jesus, and that many people would be drawn to you because of the way that we choose to glorify you in the messy and in the mundane and the ordinary and the, the eating breakfast and drinking orange juice and how we handle conflict and how we relate to the checkout lady at Ralph's. Thanks for the opportunity to live for something so much bigger than ourselves. We just lift you high and exalt you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can subscribe to and listen to new and archive episodes on your favorite podcast platform. 
If you like what you heard, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us reach others with these resources. Once again, you can learn more about us at uscchristianchallenge.com or find us on social media at USC Challenge. Hope to see you next time.